Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado. And now would be a good time to start planning a trip here to experience our wide open spaces and do some running or hiking or biking on our vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Okay, our guest today is Daryl Murphy, who is the creator of milesforjustice.org, and he is also somebody who has been running at least five kilometers a day for over 300 days. So Brandon Leonard and I talked to Daryl about why he's been running 5K or more a day every single day. We talk about milesforjustice.org and his current goal of placing little free libraries in marginalized communities. We talk to Daryl about his really interesting running background, his ideas about the future of Miles for Justice, and more. So that is what we have on tap for you today. And while you listen to our conversation, please do check out milesforjustice.org and see how you might be able to help the cause. And with that, let's go ahead and let Brendan kick things off. Here we go. So, Daryl Murphy, thank you for coming on our, our little Off the Couch podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about what Miles for Justice is? Yeah, Miles for Justice is like a grassroots social justice movement that I started uh, this past summer in June 2020. It combines running, it combines, you know, activism. And I wanted to put those two things together, you know, following the murder of George Floyd, uh, the murder of Breonna Taylor, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. I was kind of already doing this running streak and I wanted my runs to have some purpose behind them. I wanted a reason to keep getting up every day and going to run. So I started Miles for Justice. So I run every day. I run a 5K a day or, or more every single day. And people are able to pledge donations for every mile that I run. And then those donations go to a certain cause. So currently I'm on my third Miles for Justice campaign. Uh, the first Miles for Justice campaign was for Black Lives Matter. The second one was for Breonna Taylor. And this third one here is more to impact individual communities directly. And we're bringing little free libraries um, to hopefully 10 different communities. Nice. How many 5Ks had you been running before you decided, like in a, in a row, how many did you have on the, on the books before you said, I think I can keep doing this to, to raise money? So I was approaching 50 um, around the time the George Floyd incident happened. I would think I was at about 40, 45. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to go past 50. Like I'm done at 50. But then I was thinking, you know, like mentally, I kind of still wanted to keep going. Like I was waking up in the morning and I'm like, I'm not going to run today. This just doesn't feel right. You know, but physically I kind of didn't have a reason to keep going. I was just like, eh, you know, I'm kind of over this now. So as I was approaching 50, I was like, you know what, let's put these runs to good use, you know, and let's kind of bring the running community together. You know, a lot of people are 
trying to do things around activism in the running community. Let me unite them. Let me unite all of these people that, you know, have just learned about all of these oppressions that are happening in America, you know, and let me try to get them behind my runs. And it, it kind of just all came together. Do you remember what started the, what started the 5k streak in the first place? Um, a big part of it was the pandemic, the global shutdown. Um, at that time I was in LA and the whole city just totally shut down and I'm working from home. Obviously I'm living at home. I'm eating at home. There's no thing, no way I can ever go outside. So I just kind of started going out for some runs just to get out of the house once a day, just for my sanity. And then one of my friends told me, he was like, I'm trying to do like 35 K's in a row. I was like, bro, you are crazy. Like, there's no way I would ever run for 30 days straight without taking a day off. So he kind of challenged me to do 30 days in a row. And I wasn't even really taking it seriously. I wasn't even going to do it. But just kind of out of the blue by just going out and running every day, I got up to like 13 days in a row and I hadn't even noticed it. So once I got to 13, I was like, you know what? I think 30 is possible. So I'll go ahead and try to get 30. And then once I got to 30, it was like, okay, maybe I can try to get 50. And then when I got to 50, I was like, I'm really done now. But then that's <laughs> when everything started happening with the protests and things like that. So then that's when I started Miles for Justice. Yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of people, I just saw this like through social media and stuff and myself included did like uh, run with a mod uh, where it was like 2.23 miles. Um, and that felt like a thing, but you know, it's not like, I didn't personally feel like I had done that much besides say, Hey, I'm like solidarity, you know, but right. the, what you're doing is taking it and actually, as I would say, put your, put your money where your mouth is and like, let's actually make some change, um, through, through money and through donations and stuff. We should be clear that you were not like coming off the couch when you started doing this either. It, like you're a former, well, current athlete, but you ran track in college and high school. Um, and you're fast too. It's not like you're not like you're chugging out like 12 minute miles here when you're doing these five K's. They're like, I follow you on Strava now. You're like, I'm, I'm, we're, you and I are never running together. That's for sure. Um, uh, no. But can you talk about a little bit about your running background? Did you get into it uh, through sports in, in high school and junior high or what, what, how did you get into it? Yep. So I, I really got into running in high school. Um, I think like most kids, I wanted to be like a basketball player or a baseball player. Really didn't have much interest in running. That was just like punishment for a sport, you know. But um, in seventh grade, I was on the baseball team, right? And we did not win a game. We were defeated. And I was just <laughs> like, you know, I can't take losing like this. So in eighth grade, I decided <laughs> to go out for track and then just happen to be good at it. So anything that you're good at, I think you kind of gravitate toward a little bit more. So I'm coming off a baseball season where we didn't win a game. Now I'm coming in the track and I'm winning races. So that felt pretty good. Then like all the girls are running track too. So that was like another great thing, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so what position did you play in baseball? Uh, I played center field and second base. Were you feeling like I can't, have this uh team where losing is like eight other people's responsibility and i'm i'm playing okay but we're losing every game or was it more just like this just isn't gonna work 
it was just more like this isn't just going to work because it's like, like you said, you know, it wasn't really all on me. But then I felt like I really can't even I don't even really have it in my power to change it. You know, it's like you look at like Mike Trout, he's like the best player in baseball and he can't even win, you know. So it's like really out of your control in baseball, even in basketball, one player has a lot more control. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. How did you find your events that you were good at? And did you just gravitate straight towards 800s or what was, how did that go? You know, I'm not exactly sure how I got to the 800 exactly. I think when I went out for track, I think I was getting smoked in the 100, you know, so that just wasn't for me. And I kind of gravitated toward like 400, 800. And I was doing that. And then my coach randomly made me do a mile in eighth grade. And I thought this was like the worst idea ever. I was like, bro, I'm not a miler. Like, why are you putting me in the mile, you know? And then I beat like a few of the guys who were like the top guys in eighth grade. And I'm like, Hmm. I don't know how I did it. I was just running. I was actually running in Jordans my entire eighth grade track season, like basketball shoe Jordans, you know? Which, what, what, what Jordans were they? (laughs) These were like the basketball team Jordans. So they weren't a Jordan number, but they were the team Jordan basketball (laughs) shoes. Okay. Okay. Did you watch the last dance? At of, all? Course, of course. Of course. Do you, did you, do you know, I didn't know that whole thing where he wore Jordan ones in like his last season. So he was like going back in time, like what, 11, 12 years or whatever. And wearing these old ass shoes and they just destroyed his feet. Yeah. That, that was pretty interesting to see. I didn't know that either. He's like, felt like he probably ran a marathon, you know, after that game. Yeah. Oh I just want to state for the record. The fact that you ran your first season of track in Team Jordans is officially the coolest thing I've heard in the history of this podcast. That is my single favorite thing. So congrats. Yeah. Um, I almost wonder what the what the world record is for the mile in Jordans, you know, like. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So you go you go right to the, the distances most of us hate, um, yeah. which is 400, 800. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Did you did you end up running the mile in high school as well? Yeah. And, oh, sorry. By the way, this is in you're in Columbus, Ohio, right? You Correct. grew up grew up there. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Grew up uh, in Reynoldsburg, right on the east side of Columbus. So after I ran track in eighth grade, I kind of had some success. I'm going to ninth grade, uh, eighth grade junior high. I was still playing football. Ninth grade, I'm still planning to play football. But the cross country coach is telling me like, no, no, you know, you have to run cross country. I, I never thought about running cross country before, but over the summer I decided what the heck, you know, I'll run cross country again. I'm still running in Jordans at this point, like going into my ninth grade cross country season. And because of that, I end up getting a stress fracture because I had never run like any miles before. So I get a stress fracture my freshman year cross country season. I think I may have done one meet that year. But then I was out for basketball because I couldn't even try out for the basketball team. So then, like, that was the end of my basketball career. And ever since then, it was just all running. Huh. And and no more Jordans. No more Jordans. That, no, is... no more Jordans. <laughs> oh, man, that's awful. I have, a, I have a similar story, but it was way less fast. I somehow qualified for the Hershey State track meet when I was in, like, 
uh, fifth grade and uh, ended up running in a pair of LA gear high tops um, <laughs> at the state. And I, I got like 20th out of 20 or something like that. But you probably, you're probably too young for LA gear, but it was. But those were the light ups, the, right? They had the light ups. Maybe they did okay. after my, my time, okay. but this is the stone age LA gear where it was just crappy. Um, <laughs> they, they're basically crap basketball shoes. This is before shoes. lights were invented, Daryl. Yeah, 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 we didn't. Yeah. We didn't so. yeah. Yeah, you had to make it like to make a phone call. The phone was actually on the wall. It's you know, it's it's ancient history. But um, well, good. I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you didn't uh, didn't continue in stress with stress fractures. So, did you have some success in cross country too? Not really. I, I guess I kind of did, like on the local level, like uh, throughout the season. I think my sophomore year, I came back. I don't know if this was my sophomore year or my junior year, but I was running like JV cross country, and I actually won a meet like a cross country meet on JV. That was pretty crazy. We're like 200 runners. So that felt mm. really good. And I was like, okay, this running thing is pretty cool at that point. And I think after that, my coach kind of moved me up to varsity. So I think that probably had to be my sophomore year then. Um, but cross country was pretty tough. Like I was still kind of just doing that to stay in shape for track. I was never like a high mileage guy. I would just kind of run like 25 miles a week I would say on average in high school and cross country you know it's a real team sport though so I did kind of like cross country like that like all five men really count you have to kind of bond together that was that was a really good thing for me but track was definitely my thing the 800 was definitely my favorite race and track but my senior year I really kind of just started to focus on the mile and uh, really became a miler and that was kind of my go-to event you went to state in the mile and some, did you, did you go to state in the 800 too? So th- this is kind of like a, a, kind of a sore spot story here, you know, oh, okay. uh, my, my senior year, um, we're at the regional meet, which is before the state meet. And I win the mile in the regional meet. And then uh, I'm in the 800 and the four by four. And my coach comes to me after the mile and he's like, you know, do you want to just sit out the 800 so you can be fresh for the four by four? And I don't, I didn't really know what was going on at the time. I'm just coming off a mile. This was like my fastest mile ever at the time. And I'm like, yeah, sure, coach, let's do it. You know? So I end up not running the 800 at regional. I just uh, sat out of it. And then I run the four by four and I, I believe I was second leg on the four by four. And at that time, we're in first or second place. We get the baton. I hand the baton off to our third man. He comes around. He hands the baton off to our anchor and he drops the baton in the four by four race. We're out. And now I'm like, I just set out the 800 so we can run the four by four at state. And now we're not even going. And that was that was just terrible. Oh, man. That is disappointing for sure. What was your what was your mile time? So the next week at state, I end up running the mile. I think I got fourth place in the mile at state, and I end up running four thirteen in the mile. Yeah. Oh my god. I think you might be the fastest person we've had on this podcast. <laughs> Not that it's a big podcast, but it's we've had some fast people on here. But holy shit. Um. So then. So then after that, you get uh, some attention from colleges. I understand. Yep. Yep. So 
it, it's kind of kind of sucks how track is a spring sport and the state meet isn't till June. I think the state meet might have been after I already graduated from high school. Like, I think I might have graduated during the week and then the state meet was on Saturday. So all through the year, my coach had been telling me, you know, just wait until state and then colleges will start coming to recruit you. But as a senior in high school, you know, my mom's on me like you have to pick a college. Everybody's like, you have to pick a college. I can't wait till after I graduate from high school to then go ahead and kind of pick a college, you know. So after the state meet, a lot of coaches started reaching out to me. Then I started getting a lot of attention. But there was like a 10 day window where I kind of had to decide, like, where are you going? So that whole recruiting process was really condensed and it was just very, very overwhelming for me. It was just a lot happening all at once. You know, I was, you know, 17, 18 year old kid. I didn't really have much experience at that point, didn't really know how to handle all of that. But long story short, before all of that happened, I had got an academic scholarship to Ohio State. So I was kind of already planning to go to Ohio State just for school. Uh, not really track related, but now I'm getting all of these college coaches to come and recruit me for track. And I'm like, man, do I decide to go that route on the track route or do I kind of just stay the same route and go to Ohio State? So, you know, my high school coach did not want me to go the Ohio State route. He made that blatantly clear to me time after time. Mm -hmm. Everyone in my family kind of did want me to go the Ohio State route because we're, we're in Ohio here. My family's all in Ohio and it's the big state school. So everybody loves it. I was really kind of torn in between. I didn't really know what I wanted. It was just all coming at me so fast. But I met with all of these different coaches, went to go meet with the coach at Ohio State as well and ended up just deciding to go there because that had been my plan for the last three or four months. So I didn't want to change it in that last week after the state meet. Yeah, a lot of us don't have that dilemma of having both academic scholarships right. and sports interest. It's a, it's a yeah. tough one. But yeah, I hear you. I'm like, inter like making the big decision of your life when you're 17 or 18. It's like, wow, that, that's a tough How tough How spot. hard was that, Daryl, that decision? I mean, were you like, oh man, this feels like an important fork in the road with some, I don't know, possibly some big consequences were you feeling sort of paralyzed about that one or was it actually an easier call to make than it could have been in theory no it was tough for me i was definitely paralyzed i i really had no idea what to do and that's kind of why i just defaulted back to what i was already planning to do so i didn't really kind of make any decision i just stayed the course it, it was tough. I mean, I had a, a lot of these college coaches coming after me and they really wanted me, you know, and when I told them I wasn't going there, I felt the disappointment from a lot of them. And then that was tough. Like, man, I really disappointed this guy. And then like going to my Ohio State situation, like in hindsight, everything's always 2020. But I guess as a a kid at that point, I couldn't really read the tea leaves like I could now, you know? So it's like now when I look back on that situation, I'm seeing a lot of red flags that I didn't pick up on then huh. that just having some experience as an adult, I would have for sure picked up on. Like what? So, you know, there's kind of always that saying, like you have to go where you're wanted, you know? 
So like I was deciding to go to Ohio State for academics, but I was also going to run. But the coach, you know, I had some talent. So the coach was going to take me, but he didn't really want me. And then I started feeling that energy from him day after day in practice from some of the comments he was making to me, just kind of how he was treating me every day. And I didn't know it would be like that. But, you know, I had people, a couple of people around me kind of telling me these things. But I just thought, you know, like I have thick skin. I can handle it. You know, I'm not one of these guys that's just going to be crying about it day in and day out. But that's just not really a healthy situation, you know, like for your mental health, especially college is just tough for anybody going to classes and things like that. But now I'm going to classes and going to practice and just running for a guy who doesn't really value me. So I was just kind of in a dilemma, like if I am doing really well and I succeed, then he gets all the credit for that, you know? And I was in a position where I didn't want to make him look like he was responsible for my success just from the way he was kind of treating me uh, day in and day out in practice. So you, did you finish that first season and then, or how, what happened after that? Yep. Yep. So I, I ran through the fall, um, just practicing. I ran indoor track that, that fall. I mean, that winter, um, the spring came I actually redshirted, but ran some meets unattached. And then Come the next year, like things were kind of rocky. And then like at the start of my sophomore year, I started having some some personal issues. Like, you know, right at the beginning of the year, my grandfather had passed away and I kind of just needed like a week away from the team for that. And coach wasn't really too understanding about that whole situation. And then come that winter of my sophomore year, I was just kind of like, I'm done, you know? And then I started just kind of looking at other schools to transfer to, you know, because I did want to keep running. Uh, I did want to transfer. Um, so then at that point, I kind of just left the team there in the middle of my sophomore year. And then you transferred to Kent State? Yep, yep, correct. So I transferred to Kent State, um, the next year that fall so this would be my junior year and ran cross country at kent state uh that fall uh one semester and then because because of how the credits went when you're kind of transferring colleges a lot of my credits weren't actually transferring over so i would have had to do like three more years to graduate and just kind of weighing the pros and cons. I was like, you know, I'm not really looking to do that. So I kind of ended up just transferring back to Ohio State where I just had a year and a half left um, of school. So I transferred back to Ohio State and that's when my running career kind of came to an end and I just finished out my degree at Ohio State. So that would be, that was like December 2011, like at the end of that fall semester. So then from December 2011 to December 2019, like I had never run again in that that eight year span. I thought I was done with running. I thought I would never run again just because I had a lot of bad experiences with running, even though like I was a talented guy. But just those those experiences I had, it kind of just I was fed up with it. And I was just kind of like, you know, I'm done with this. 
Wow. So that had to be, yeah, that had to be a pretty emotional break. I mean, it's pretty easy to like stop playing football and never play football again because you need a team and equipment and stuff, but like running is so that must've been, so that was, were you pretty much just kind of like, this is, this is awful. I'd have bad feelings about this whole thing. Or can you think back to what, what that felt like at the time? At the time it was at the time. Let me think back there. It was like, I didn't realize really the ramifications of it, you know, like being like a 20, maybe 21 year old kid at the time, you don't realize how much of your life is still ahead of you, you know? So I didn't realize that running is like a lifelong sport. I just kind of looked at it as something that I'm doing in high school, something that I did to get me to college. And I had no idea how big the running community was, how large the running community is now. I'm really just kind of discovering that through the Miles for Justice campaign. So if I was more privy to that back then, I don't think I would have handled those situations in the same exact way. Like, even though I was a good runner and things like that, I didn't really connect with people in the running community. I never went to like any running stores and like tried on running shoes and things like that. So there was just a lot in the running community that I was not aware of. And I think those things would have kept me in the community longer and probably would have let me finish out my college track career. Did you have running heroes when you were in, in high school and starting to see some success and like, were you looking up to people at the time? I, when I was in high school, I was running sprints and I was able to go to the Drake relays, which is in my home state. And, I got to see Carl Lewis run and Michael Johnson um, because they just show up and like pretty incredible thing. But did you have heroes like that in track or otherwise? I would definitely say my biggest hero in track was my sister. She was a sprinter. She ran the hundred and the 200 and she's a little older than me. She's about like six and a half years older than me. So she graduated high school seven years before I did. So I was kind of like in elementary when she was in high school and I'm just watching her and she was a beast. She was the truth. Like she qualified for state all four years in the open hundred and open 200. And I think either her junior or senior year, I think it might've been her junior year, but she got second place in both the open hundred and 200, but she was definitely my running hero. So I was kind of following in her footsteps, just trying to live up to what she had done previously. That's interesting that she's good in the, the short explosive distances and you were not, and like you gravitate towards the 800 in the mile. So it's like not a, maybe not genetic or familial, you know, like, is that what led you to, did you try the hundred and the 200 thinking, Hey, my sister's good at these and maybe I'll be, maybe this will be, maybe this will run in the family a little bit. I think like, you know, when you're in elementary school and you have like field day or Olympic day at the end of the school year. So I can remember being in elementary and like first and second grade, I was like beating everybody in like the 50 yard dash And then by the time I got to like fourth and fifth grade, I started getting like third, fourth, fifth, sixth place in that. So I'm like, man, people are like getting faster than me. (laughs) But the one race I would win was like the race around the school. Like we would run around the school and around the 
like the play area and I would win that race. So that kind of let me know, like, I guess I have a little bit more wind. Maybe I'm a little more distance oriented. So that's kind of why I went toward the 800. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So, but you would never, you'd never be able to beat your sister in like a 200. Maybe maybe now. I don't (laughs) know. I think I can take her down. Yeah. Yeah. That's something we need to do. do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Place, place a bet on it too, you know? Um, okay. Yeah. So you talked about, um, the running community and how you're discovering that through, uh, miles for justice. You've been pretty successful at raising money. I've, I've tried to raise money before and it takes a lot to like, even just to have people know about it for one thing, but to get them to actually click through and click like, yes, I will donate 10 bucks is like such a big thing. Are you having people reach out that you would not have people you wouldn't know have otherwise known because they hear about what you're doing and they say, Hey, that's, that's super cool. Are you getting that aspect from the fundraising? Really? Like this was the first time I've ever done any fundraising before in my life. So it was all new to me, but really what I do, like kind of how I connected with you, Brendan, I really reach out to everybody I can. So I'm on social media, like sliding in everyone's DMs, like, hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. Check it out. Would you be interested in donating? Is this a cause you could support? So like, I don't really wait for people to come to me. I try to go to everyone else. So I'm Mm -hmm. like going through all the different shoe companies, their followers and their likes and things like that. Any of the big runners, I'm like going to their pages, just looking for people that, you know, have some commonality with what I'm doing. So it can kind of be like a warm introduction and then just seeing like, hey, you know, would you support this cause? Because fundraising fundraising is tough. I, I found that out on the first campaign and this current campaign, it's been even tougher And it can be really demoralizing, you know, when you're not getting any donations for like a week, two weeks straight and you have no donations coming through. You're just like, you know, why am I even doing this anymore? Yeah, for sure. I have I've done the same same thing and um, just go as far as repeatedly email people who are friends of mine and be like, come on you like, come on, give me your latte money, like, <laughs> spend it on something you know, important. Why don't we talk about like the, the mechanics of this, like walk people through it. So we're talking about different campaigns. So for this current campaign, just take a step-by-step about what we're doing, how people would donate, how those funds are distributed. Take us through the, the steps. Yep. So Miles for Justice 3, that is the current campaign that we're doing right now. It's the third iteration of Miles for Justice. And I wanted to be more hands on with this campaign. I wanted to be more in control of what's happening with the money, with the funds once people donate them. So with the money here, we're going to be planting little free libraries um, in marginalized communities. If you guys aren't familiar with little free libraries, it's just basically Uh, a box. It kind of looks like a house and you put books in them and anybody walking by can put a book in or take a book out. It's kind of come as you go. Anyone in the community, anyone walking by can take a book or leave a book. So I wanted to put those into marginalized communities because reading, not a lot of people read anymore, you know, And, and Brendan, I know you have a book, so you're encouraging people to go out and read. And I'm trying to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So 
like books just really open the world up to you. They open up your mind to so many different things. Like you can be, you know, right here in Columbus, Ohio, you can be reading about something that's happening in Tokyo, Japan, you know, and feel like you're right there. So I just really want to open up people's world to more than their neighborhood because so many people are just locked into their one block or their two blocks where they are. And I believe books is like a catalyst that can show you there's so much more in the world and can really inspire you to want to go out and achieve more in your life. So we're trying to plant these little free libraries. The goal is to raise $10,000 to plant 10 little free libraries. Each of those little free libraries, we want to have stocked with books that are representative of the people who live in those communities. So if it's a, a predominantly black African-American community, we want books by black authors. We want books with black characters. We want books telling black stories. If it's a, a Latino community, you know, we want books by Latino authors, books that feature Latino characters and tell Latino stories just because people really connect with books when the stories in there are resemble more closely to the life that they've lived and the life that they see every day. And a lot of times in school, the books that were assigned to read in junior high and high school are like these ancient books, you know, from like the 1800s or early 1900s. And people have a hard time connecting with those. So when people don't connect with books in school, they feel like I don't like books. So they're not even looking to pick up a book that may interest them. But I promise you, everyone out there can find a book that really interests them in a book that they'll pick up and say, oh, wow, I actually do like books. I actually do like reading. So the goal is to get more of those books into communities of need. And that's what we're trying to do with Miles for Justice 3. So the locations of the libraries are still TBD. I have reached out to a couple local parks and recs departments um, here in Ohio, as well in California and Los Angeles. And I've noticed that kids really congregate around basketball courts. So when I'm out doing my runs, if I'm running past the basketball court, I'll often see a lot of kids out there, no matter where I'm at. So I would love to be able to place these libraries in areas where kids are going to be grouped together. And I've just kind of noticed that's in local parks around a, lo a lot of local basketball courts. So that's why I've reached out to some parks and recs departments to see if we can get the libraries there. Um, but I don't, I'm definitely going to put libraries in Columbus, Ohio and Los Angeles, California. And I'm open to putting them in other cities as well. I've had, I've sent emails to a couple other parks and recs departments in a couple other cities. I have not heard back, but once the, the campaign is complete, which we have about 10 days left uh, to receive donations, donations will be going through March 30th. And then that's why that's when I will go full force on trying to find the specific locations to put the libraries. This isn't something that's just going to happen overnight. I expect it to take, you know, two to three months to 
get all of the locations squared away and then actually get the libraries planted in those locations. Yeah, I like the idea of putting them near basketball courts or even at the base of a basketball pole. I'm like, just because you have to drive them into the ground to stand up. I'm like, just hook it on, man. Just have it facing the other way. <laughs> I guess there'd be some vibration issues or whatever. But did you did you have books? Uh, you speak like someone whose life has been opened up by books. And I'm wondering what some of your... Maybe if you don't remember the first book that kind of clued you into this larger world, but some of the stuff early on as a kid or even recently, like what are some of your favorite books? Yeah, books, books definitely played a big role in my life. I can remember being a kid, like me and my mom would kind of just sit on the porch outside. She'll be reading a book and I'll be reading a book. This is when I'm like seven, eight years old. So I can, I kind of have fond memories of that. And as a kid, I was I was really into Matt Christopher books. Matt Christopher, he has like hundreds of books, but he writes all about sports books. They're all fiction books. Every single sport you can imagine, hockey, tennis, baseball, basketball. And I would just read all of his books, any Matt Christopher book that I could get my hands on. I knew it would interest me. I knew I would like it. So he was definitely one of the authors I really liked. Um, as a kid, I remember reading like a couple books that stand out to me was like the kid who became president or the kid who could be president. And there were, there were like two parts of that book. I, w- I was really a big fan of those books as well. Mm-hmm. And then these, these are all my younger years when I'm yeah. like six, seven, eight, nine. But then once I got to high school and college, I never read a book like I I really shouldn't be saying this, but in high school, I never read a book. Any book that was assigned, I just went on Spark Notes and looked it up. I don't know. There was a point in my life there where I really became like anti-reading. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not a reader. I'm not about to read this book. And that was like all through high school, all through college. I never read a book. And then once I got out of college, it was actually, I was working at the YMCA and one of the older guys I was working there, he kind of recommended a couple books to me to read and gave me a couple books. And that kind of re-sparked my interest in books and reading again. So then since I've been out of college, I've been reading pretty regularly again. What were those couple books that that guy, that guy lent you or gave you? You know, I'm not even exactly sure what, what those books were at this time. Oh, okay. But he he was definitely always talking to me about just reading and the power of books. And that was that was like the first time I had had somebody doing that since I was a kid. And it just kind of brought back those memories like, oh, you know, I guess I did kind of used to like books. But I think, again, like the books that were being assigned to me in high school, I had no connection with so I didn't see what was the point of reading this. I totally agree with that. I can't remember a single book that was assigned in high school, but I remember the books I was reading on the side and like same thing with college. I just like, are you reading like paperbacks now? Do you do Kindle? Do you listen to audiobooks? Are you against audiobooks like some people who are I'm all I'm old school, man. So I'm flipping pages, you know what I mean? Yeah. I gotta touch the pages, I gotta flip the pages, you know. I I have not listened 
to an audio book in about probably like five, at least five years. And I've never read a book on a Kindle or digital at all. Okay. I used to, I was not a Kindle person until I found out you could put them on your phone. This is a Kindle app. And then I would like read, read books in line or on planes or whatever, because you can just pull out your phone. And it made me feel so smart that I wasn't scrolling through Instagram. I'm like, yo, no, it's a book. Yeah, that's right. You know, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I have, there's, there's been, I've seen some discussion online about how like little free libraries are these things that show up in like sort of wealthier communities who already have access to a, you know, books that people buy plus actual libraries. And was that part of the motivation for you to take that idea, take those actual things and put them in communities of need? Was that motivation for you at all? Oh, 100%. Like doing this run streak, being in LA, like I lived on the West side of LA, like in Culver city. So Mm -hmm. I'm running around there and I'm just seeing a ton of little free libraries, like on one street, like one little block, I might see two or three little free libraries and every neighborhood I'm going to, I'm seeing these little free libraries. And I'm like, you know, these are people that probably already have libraries inside their homes. They're obviously encouraging their kids to read already. You know, their school libraries have a vast, you know, selection of books to choose from. And I was just like, I was actually on Instagram one day and I was like, you know, I would like to bring a little free library to a community one day. I'm just thinking like one little free library. And then I was thinking about, well, I had a hard time deciding on what to do for Miles for Justice 3 and when to start it. Like just after being successful on the first two campaigns, I started to feel a lot of pressure about doing a third campaign. So it kind of took me a while. But then this was something that I was actually passionate about and something that I could get behind and something where I really saw a need. Because when I go into like lower income communities, I rarely ever see a little free library. And I'm like, these are where we actually need the little free libraries to show people. Because like, if you never see a book, how can you ever read a book? You know, so it's like, I have, I hear a lot of people telling me, well, like, you know, if they want to read a book, they can go to a library. Like there's a library right up the street. Why don't they just go to the library over there and get it? And I'm like, you know, that's a business. Like there, there are barriers to entry there. You know, they can do that, but why not just make it so much easier where you can just step out of your house. You don't have to have a card. You don't have to have a return date or anything. So that was the whole premise there. Like, let me take this thing that's really popular in these more fluent areas and bring them to some communities of need and some marginalized areas. So that that's the goal. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Yeah. No late fees, no waiting lists to get a book. It's like open 24 hours. Yeah. I I get that for sure. There you do. I don't know if you, it's, it's acapella. It's a poem or it's a rap that you do. That's, that's fun. I mean, like, uh, one of the lines is you can read books to get paid. You can read books to get laid. You can read books to get saved. And that happens. There's a couple repeating lines in, in the video. Um, is that a rap or is that a poem to you? 
it is what it is, you know, whatever you want to label it, that's what it is. You know, I just kind of like thought of it in my head. It wasn't a rap. It wasn't a poem. When I was writing it, I didn't think of it as a rap or a poem. It was just words that I was putting down, you know. So that's like the first one you've done. I was like assuming you'd that was like a thing you did and that you. No, I I, ca- I no. did one for the first Miles for Justice campaign for Ahmad Arbery. And that was the first one I did. And then I wanted to do a video for this campaign. I had no idea what I was going to do. It was literally like one in the morning. I think I might have been getting some cereal. And then all these words just started coming to me and I kind of like freestyled it. And then I just like wrote it down in the notes of my phone and I was like, okay, this is it. And then I kind of tightened it up, you know, over the next week, like added a couple things, dropped a couple things and then it was a go. Nice. So the classic 1am cereal freestyle. <laughs> That's Yeah. So you're a reader. Do you have interest in writing? You're, I mean, you majored in strategic communications. Do you have interest in writing like a book someday, you think? Definitely. Definitely. You know, I mean, I, I always said I was going to write a book. I am going to write a book, but I still haven't done it to this point. I think it's just really just getting started. I mean, I've taken some notes on some things that I wanted to write about, but it's just about being consistent with it. Like I, I may do it for a week or something and then I'll forget about it for like three months. So like I'm hoping this running streak, I've been like kind of putting a lot of my attention on that, but hopefully I can kind of switch that attention to something else where I can just start being more productive in other aspects of my life. And definitely writing a book is one of them that I want to do. Yeah. These, I, uh, I teach a writing course, uh, every year on a, on a raft on a river trip. And I have a, a worksheet that has three quotes from authors and two of them are Hemingway and Murakami. And they talk about how you got to get up at like four or 5 AM and write consistently for like seven hours. And you have to do this every day for, you know, and then you'll have in the, the third quote is from Cheryl Strayed who wrote wild, you know, and she's like, I just get a hotel like every couple months, hotel room, have my husband watch the kids tell me, don't call me unless someone stops breathing. And I, she basically crushes out writing for like two, three days straight. And then she comes home again. So it happened. I, I do it to illustrate that it happens and it can happen in waves for people, or you can be that person who gets up at 5am every day and I'm not, I'm not getting up at 5am. Right. That's, so just so you know, like I'm just saying it's a, it doesn't have to be that, that daily practice um, for, for everyone. So Daryl, I'd love to hear more about this streak and the discipline. And I guess a couple of things. One, what you now find to be the easiest part of keeping this going and what you find to be the hardest part of keeping this 5k at least a day streak going i find it interesting that you want to talk about running on our running podcast but let's go with it (laughs) hmm the hardest part and the easiest part for me so the hardest part often is still just getting out the door you know like I'm a procrastinator. Like I've always been a procrastinator. So like when I have to work, like say I have to work at like noon, Uh often I'm not going to start my run until 11. You know, I'm going to procrastinate all morning and then start the run at the very last point where I can finish just before work. So 
like getting out the door is really hard for me still. Some days is better than others, obviously. Like yesterday here, it was really windy. It was really rainy. And I had to go run in that. But that that's not so bad for me just because it's kind of like a change of scenery. It's something new. So I kind of can look forward to that a little bit. Definitely the hardest part, I would say, is just staying healthy. Yeah. You know, like running every day for 300 yeah. plus days. It's like, how can you stay healthy through all of that? And I've only, knock on wood, had one like major scare or major injury so far. It was in December. I kind of like strained my quad muscle. So I went out running one day. Everything was good. I woke up in the morning and like my leg was just on fire. Like I didn't feel like I could get out of the bed. And then I went out and tried to run and I took two steps and I was just like, there's no way I can do this. Like I just cannot run on this today. And literally, like, I got so emotional after that. I was, like, almost in tears, just like, man, I've run for, like, 250 days in a row, and now my streak is going to end like this. I didn't really know how much it meant to me until that point where I just could not run anymore physically. So I just went out to the park that day, and I was like, you know, if I can't run a 5K, I'm just going to walk a 5K just to keep the streak alive. So I'm walking. I'm I'm doing like a mile and a half loop here. So I'm walking first mile. You know, I think it was like a 20 minute mile that I walked. And then after I got about two miles in, the leg just kind of warmed up mm-hmm. and I started feeling better. And I was able to run. And I was, I was able to run like an 11 or 12 minute mile or something. But that lasted for like a whole week. There was like a whole week there where I was running like 10, 11, 12 minute miles just to kind of keep the streak alive. And that was really like one of the most gratifying weeks that I had in the whole streak. And I really had a, it made me see the appreciation um, for other people who are not the fastest runners in the world, you know, and how they get out every single day and just keep running, you know. And I, I just really had a great appreciation for them after that. And I, you know, I salute them for getting out and running every day. Like anybody that gets out and runs, you're doing a great job. Like I try to tell because people ask me for advice all the time now about running. And I always try to tell them like pace does not matter. Speed does not matter. It's just getting out there and running. And I try to tell people it's better to run slow than to run fast because you enjoy it more when you run slow. When you run fast, you're out of breath, you're winded, you're sweating so hard, you feel miserable. But when you go out for a nice slow jog, it just feels good. You're looking at the birds, you're looking at the trees, and you can just enjoy life. That's my whole motto. Uh, <laughs> so what's the what's, what was the easiest part of it? Actually, have you have you gotten sick at all? Like, have you gotten like a cold or anything and been like, whoa, I can't do this? I don't think I really have too much. No, like that's, I mean, I guess a big reason for that is because I'm not doing anything, you know, I'm like quarantine. Yeah. I'm just at home all day. So I'm not around a bunch of other people spreading germs or anything like that. But luckily I have not really gotten sick this whole year thus far. Knock on wood. Uh, yeah, that is good. I, yeah. And, uh, what was, what's been the easiest part of the whole thing? The easiest part for me is actually just the running. 
Like once I get out there and I'm running, like it's easy. Like it's nothing for me to go out and run at this point, you know, like three miles, but it's just getting out the door is hard. Staying healthy is hard. But once I'm out there on the street at the park and like, I'm just one foot after the other, that's the easiest part for me. Like just starting is hard, but once you start, you're good. I wonder how, I wonder for how many people it's the opposite. They're real good at, they're jumping up, they're all excited to get out the door, and then they're like just dying. You know, like, is anybody wired that way? I bet nobody. I don't know. Zero maybe. People. Maybe okay. there's people. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I have two, two more questions. Um, what do you see being the future of Miles for Justice? Are you going to just keep doing these single campaigns, or do you have an idea of, like, maybe I'll start a nonprofit and let other people do running events for fundraising or other nonprofits or um, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have time to help you grow it into a nonprofit. I'm just asking like if that might be an idea. He's just one of those uh, people who dumps a big idea on you and then is like, yeah. good luck. Let <laughs> me give you the easy part, which is the idea. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, right do you have on. any, have you given any thought to that? Absolutely. That That's something I've definitely been thinking about for a little while now. And, you know, I've kind of gone back and forth on should I make this like an official nonprofit or should I not? You know, so that's something I'm still kind of contemplating both sides of the pros and the cons. But I am leaning in that direction. And I do think I am going to make this like an official nonprofit. So I've kind of, you know, reached out to the secretary of state and things like that to kind of look into making it official. Hmm. And. I don't really like fundraising like I'm doing now because it is pretty exhausting. It does kind of suck pretty much, you know, just to reach out to people individually. Like, would you please donate five, 10, $20, you know, and to do that to hundreds of people like on a daily basis. So I would really like to pivot miles for justice where that isn't the premise of you know, bringing in fundraising donations for the next campaign. And I haven't exactly figured out what that looks like or how that will be. But a big part of that is making it an official 501c3 and then kind of creating some type of programming that we have. That way we're able to get funded grants, you know, from the government or other foundations can kind of sponsor us. So I'm looking into that. That's definitely like long-term goal for us to kind of do our own programming where that may be educational programming that may be athletic programming and like non-traditional sports i would like to focus on or just educational programming around things they are not teaching in school you know um another thing i would like to do with miles for justice is to have a race like once those are able to to go on to have like you know, the miles for justice 5k race, maybe on an annual basis, maybe have it in different cities where we kind of, you know, maybe we're in, you know, Ohio, maybe we're in Atlanta, maybe we're in California, Baltimore, somewhere, something like that. So that's another idea that I would like to have. Um, So those are kind of the two main things that I'm kind of planning out for miles for justice, but it's all a work in progress. It's all like, because this kind of just came out of the blue, but it is something that, you know, I'm really passionate about now and something that's pretty close to my heart. So I kind of would like to develop it out a little more. I don't want it to just 
fall by the wayside and fizzle out. And I've definitely built a community. You know, a lot of people are supporting Miles for Justice and a lot of people, you know, as you said, Brendan, are, are willing to do some fundraising, you know, for Miles for Justice or along with Miles for Justice. So I would like to kind of make it more inclusive where it's not just me doing all of the work for it, but we can allow other members of the community to start taking on some of that workload as well. Yeah, I think of like that, uh, you talk about doing an event and I think about how big like Race for the Cure is, you know, like when I lived in Denver, they shut down the freeway to do Race for the Cure. There were so many people doing, you know, and it's like not, not the whole freeway, but part of it. And I was like, I mean, it's thousands of people and I think each one of them probably kicks in a hundred bucks or whatever. And like, there's the administrative cost of running the event. But after that, it's like, that's a ton of money for, I believe, cancer research and God, if you could do something like that, even on a small level, that'd be, would be fun, but also benefit, benefit the nonprofit for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm, I got my last question is where, what are you looking to do with, with, uh, running this year, dependent of course on like events and COVID, like, are you, do you have like ideas to run a half marathon or a marathon or, or anything like that? Or are you just going to keep, keep plugging away and get to 365, 365, 5Ks and, and then see what happens? Well, I, I definitely want to do something because today it was really hard for me to get out the door today. I did not have the motivation to go run at all today. And a part of that is just like not having anything to look forward to race wise, you know. So at the beginning of this year, I was planning on doing a 10K in the summer at the first week of June. Now it's kind of up in the air whether that's actually going to happen or not. If it's virtual, I'm out. I only want to do it in person. Um, I've never even run a 10K before, uh, let alone a half marathon or a full marathon. Um, Actually, last year, right when the pandemic hit, I was supposed to do the LA Nike 13.1 half marathon. That was on April 5th. So a couple of weeks into the pandemic and that got canceled. But I actually ended up going and doing that out on my own, just running 13 miles that day. And that was the first time, you know, I had ran that far in almost 10 years, you know, and that was kind of the catalyst to doing the run streak. After I ran that half marathon, I didn't run for a week straight after that. And then I started the run streak right after that and haven't had a day off since. But long term, you know, getting into the running community now, I'm seeing like it's kind of like marathon or bust, you know, like marathon or die, you know, like marathon is the only thing that people care about where I had no intentions of ever doing a marathon. I had no interest in ever doing a marathon. But now I feel like I have to do a marathon and I actually kind of want to do a marathon now. So <laughs> okay, I'm good, looking yeah. forward to it just to see what I can do. I don't know what I can do, but I definitely would like to do one. And my goal would just to be able to break three hours in the marathon. And that's my goal too, but it, uh, it's not, not happening. Yeah. <laughs> I think you have a lot better odds. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was gonna say. No, that's that's not my goal. I'm just joking. I just, I just like I just like going out and running. But uh, 
Yeah, I'd say you have. A, I'd say that be that's a fun. That's a fun goal. That's healthy a healthy approach. Yeah. I'm glad you don't feel like you. I'm glad feeling like you have to do a marathon is not your only motivation to do it because that would suck. Right, like, right. Initially, it, it was like I had so many people reaching out to me like, you need to do a marathon. You have to do a marathon. I'm like, bro, I run a 5K a day. That's nowhere near a marathon. But like people who aren't in the running community, like they look at them as almost the same, you know? <laughs> I'm like, Bro, I'm like ways away from doing a marathon. But now I've been building up my mileage. Like I've done a couple 15 mile runs. I actually just did a 16 mile run. So like I think I'm I'm pretty much in enough shape where I can go ahead and try to do a full marathon. Oh yeah, you could do one tomorrow. Like that if you've run I mean, 16 pro- miles, yeah. Probably when we get off this call. Yeah. Probably just don't feel like you have quick. to though. Yeah. <laughs> I, we had a guy on, we had this guy, Eric on who had run a, um, a 5k every day for a year straight. And I thought I would give it a shot this year too. And I ended up getting, getting sick with something. I'm not sure what it was, not COVID, but I got to like 40 of them and I'm like, I hate this. This is awful. You know? And I've done like, I've done a lot of marathons, a lot of ultra marathons, but the 5k a day just about broke me because I can only get so far out of my neighborhood before I come back. Like, I'm just like, no way I'm not doing this. You know? So I I did 50 and I was like, "Mm, that's the last, that's the last one I'm going to do. That streak is not for me, you know? So, so kudos to you for actually plugging through it. What day are you on right now? Today was 340. So 25 to go to reach 365. Yeah, so like April sixth, fifth, something like that. Yeah, not wow, exactly good sure. for you. <laughs> okay, yeah. you don't have a big plan for that day. You're not gonna have a party or anything. Nah, I, one of my yeah. one of my friends was asking me the other day, like, what are you gonna do for that? And I was like, I don't know, but I may try to run a five k that day, like fast, and see what I can do. I don't know, huh. but we'll see how I'm feeling that day when I wake up. Basically, yeah it'd probably be appropriate just to do it by yourself and slog and maybe have it raining and, windy <laughs> and you know, just like, this is what they all were like, yeah. you know, that's cool. Well, Daryl, this has been really cool. Uh, hearing more from you about what you got going on and 340 days of five K's also very impressive and, and cool to hear about that streak as well. Um, I also have to confess while I just gave Brendan a hard time about foisting a big idea on you. I actually really like that idea. So I'm hoping, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're already kind of there and thinking about how to grow miles for justice. Um, but I'd say, um, keep us posted. And if, you know, as this kind of evolves and moves forward, you know, hit us up and we'll have you back on and kind of hear about, where this thing is going and uh but it's cool what you've already started here and it does really kind of seem to me that you got you got something big on your hands that could do a whole lot of good in the world and so um props to you uh for for making this happen and and uh i will be very very curious to see where you take this thing Thank you, guys. Jonathan and Brendan, uh, it was a pleasure, you know, to link up with you guys, come on the podcast here, had a good time talking mm-hmm. with you guys. Uh, appreciate what you guys are doing here with the podcast and definitely look forward to keep listening from here on out. Yeah.
And to everyone out there, please go ahead and donate at milesforjustice.org. Okay, well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Daryl and Brendan for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please be safe. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward. And we will talk to you again next week.